We are the Battle Round, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Uh, our first guest is going to be Mass and Steve, at Mass and Steve. That's Steve Molesky. does a fantastic job covering both the Major League Club and nobody knows the Oriole minor league system. I used to have a pretty good knowledge of the minor league system. Yeah, but Steve uh, Steve is on top of it like nobody. Yeah. Um, and he does any and another thing, he happens to be a pretty terrific guy. Yeah. Yeah. We've known, I've, I've known Steve 25 years. Right. And right. used to do work for him when he was at the Virginia News Network and Right. Then but, he, then, but you never really liked him. Then, then he left. He but left. you never really liked oh, Steve Molesky. Molesky. No, 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 not yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. second-rate talent. It's all a facade. <laughs> hey, Steve Molesky, you're on the air with us. Hey, I was hearing all that. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. I now, know you knew that. Uh, Steve Molesky, seriously, you do, uh, and in a year, in a season like this, you're to be commended because I know how tough it is to be out there every single day and having to provide content for readers out there, and you do, a, seriously, a bang-up job at it uh, in your sort of second career because uh, we knew you as a radio broadcast guy like us, and uh, you've become a really consummate pro as a writer. Well, you're nice to say, and it has been a tough year, I think, for fans and reporters and players and everybody in Birdland. It's been tough and grueling, and... In the blog business, where you just write constantly, you we still write constantly, whether they have won 105 games or lost 113. So um, it's more fun in the first one, I can tell you that. Hey, Steve, let me ask you this really quick. After the, the, the game tomorrow, how long do the Orioles take before they announce whether or not it's, you know, Showalter's gone or, or you know, Duquette's gone or one of the others coming back? Or how long do yeah, we have do you to wait see for it that as kind of, Do you see it as kind of an immediate announcement Monday or Tuesday, or do you think this could, you know, sort of wait through the playoffs? I I think it will be pretty fast, and I think it could be Monday or Tuesday. We could see some form of an announcement or something from the team, and I think that would serve all best. Yeah. If one or both of the men, Dan and Buck, are in or out, it would be good for all to know. And it would also be good for the team to tell us who's run the show and know that the uh, you know who is the top decision maker and is that guy going to be your guy? And if it's Duquette, okay, fine. If it's Brady, I mean, fine. But <clears throat> um, I think we need to hear some of this and no more blurred lines or confusion for the fans and people around baseball. And so um, the Orioles have committed to this rebuild, and I think that the ownership is strongly behind it. So now we're going to find out who's running this rebuild. You know, it's just interesting. In the in the old, old days, um, and I'm, I'm not going back as far as Jerry Huffberger, but when the Orioles were owned by Edward Bennett Williams or run by Larry Lucchino, that person was really at the critical press conferences, you know, and then uh, Hank Peters or Roland Heeman, of course, ran a lot of player acquisition press conferences. Peter Angelos has never been the guy that wanted to be out front at these press conferences. Do you anticipate that whether it's Dan or a new boss for Dan, that it will still remain that way, that there won't be an Angelos at the podium to announce things? I would not expect to see that happen, but uh, moving forward, I think the fans would really welcome it, yeah. whether it's uh, some one or some 
all the men or however they decide to do it. I think one thing we we have seen in the limited time we've seen John and Lou Angelos in public, whether it was the statue ceremonies, which Lewis did so beautifully, yep. representing ownership, and John, we've seen limited interviews, how much he cares and how intelligent and articulate he is. I mean, I don't have a lot of dealings with those those gentlemen much, but I have over the years a few times, and I've always left impressed, and that's not me being a homer, that's me telling you the deal. And people who I talk to, who talk to them, tell me they've been impressed with things they've heard from from John and Lou Angelos in the last few months and, and longer. And so I I think we should all give them a chance to see what they have in store. And I think uh, if they were to ask me, hey, Steve, do you think at some point we should sit down and let the fans hear from us, I would wholeheartedly say yes. Now, that, that doesn't mean they're going to listen to me. So um, I well, think that good things are in store. Now, whether we're going to hear a lot from them publicly is another matter. Yeah. Listen, I know Peter has been very good to you on a personal level and a professional level, Steve, and you've deserved that to begin with. But uh, So I don't think you have a lot negative to say about Peter uh, and his ownership. But you're you're realistic I don't think the boys should have the sins of the father visited upon them because there were certain aspects of ownership. You might not have liked the way Peter did certain things. I think the boys deserve a kind of a clean slate going into this. I, I think what would impress fans, and I've seen this in all three of those Angelos men we were talking about, mm-hmm. is how much they care. And I think you get that when you talk to them individually. When I worked back at WBAL, we're going way back in the day now, and I would meet occasionally with Peter Angelos at his law office to talk about the team yep. at his invitation, and I obviously was going to accept that. Um, I found someone who was so passionate, he talked to me like a fan would. If mm-hmm. I met a fan at the bar, and said, can you believe they let that game get, you know, that, mm-hmm. that's how he was. Mm-hmm. And he's so passionate about the team, and he would bring up minor leaguers at Bowie. I was shocked he knew. Hey, how about so-and-so playing short at Bowie? I mean, I said, sir, you know him? You know of right. him? And so he, he did. And he was like a passionate, educated fan. And I told him on more than one occasion, I sure wish the fans of Baltimore who criticize you could be sitting with me now, and I think they'd change your opinion. I wish you'd yep. could you somehow allow them to do that. And I don't think he was ever comfortable doing it. And while Art Modell, bless his heart for bringing a football team to Baltimore, was shaking hands and kissing babies and got a great rep because he was so personable and he liked that. Peter Angelos was different, but they were both good for Baltimore. Yeah. You wonder what it would have been like if every once in a while Peter just went out in the bleachers like Harry Carey did or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think fans would have really understood him a lot better. Then I saw him at spring training in Fort Lauderdale one year, and he was just kind of hanging out off by himself with a few people, and I said – so I said, sir, I wish you would have just walked around the stadium, shook a few hands, mm-hmm. bought some people from Baltimore a Coke, and I'll bet you out of that five-minute engagement, all of Baltimore would have heard about it. Yep. Um, and so that's just not his way. But that didn't mean he didn't like those people. He just is different. Some of us aren't. I'm not great at that. I don't know if I'm good shaking hands and working the room. That's that's. Some people aren't great at that, so but it doesn't take away from some other things. I'll, I'll tell you, we, we used to use, periodically, we used to use a photographer here at Press Box named Jim Berger. 
and Jim is was fantastic. He was Sun Papers photographer for a long time. He did the original Mel Kuyper cover on Press Box, our first issue, and then he did our 10-year anniversary issue with Mel Kuyper on the cover, holding the first cover. Uh, but the other time he worked for us was the interview I did with Peter Angelos about a year into Press Box. And he he had an idea. He brought this bat with him. And I don't know if you've ever seen that bat with the Orioles uh, sort of uh, signature in the in the the um, the heart of the bat up at the top. You know, the head of the bat, the bat head, and it was sort of scripted out. Have you ever seen that bat? I don't think so. Okay, it's almost like it was branded in, but it was carved in. And he said, do me a favor. We were waiting for Peter for about 10, 15 minutes while he wrapped up some other business. He says, stand at the window here and hold this bat. And he took some, like, five, ten pictures of me holding the bat. He says, this is what I'm hoping to to do with the cover with Peter Angelos. Mm-hmm. And it was great. You know, it was like saying, hey, I'm the heavy hitter, you know. And he, we got Peter to the window and we were saying, hey, we, before we sit down and do the interview, uh, Mike, uh, Jim's got an idea of this photograph. And he's holding the bat there. And Jim is just about ready to click. And he goes, oh, he goes I don't want to do this. He goes, people think like Angelos wants to start playing for the team or something. <laughs> Nothing could have been further from the truth. It was just sort of a way of saying he's the heavy hitter. But he, right. he sort of at key moments like that, he didn't want – or allow. Well, he's just done so many things yep. um, that people don't know about, and I'll, I'll you know, I'm not going to start throwing yep. out names here, but we could, and so um, he's just done a lot of good things. He, yep. he cares a lot, and I mean, people who have been around him get to see that. Unfortunately, most people don't get to be around him. Is it a fair assessment, then, to what I've always said about he he wants what's good for the team, for the city, but from the team standpoint, he just doesn't quite know how to go about getting there. Well, he made a lot of mistakes over the years. Yep. And so I remember having a very direct conversation with him about Albert Bell and his signing. And his take to me was, um, you go tell our pitchers, this, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to help them win. That's why we brought this guy in. We don't want the Yankees to get him. And so I said, sir, your heart's in the right place, but was this the right guy? I mean, right. And we we found out he wasn't. He didn't change his colors, and so um, you know that things like that. And so we Look, were talking t- about it last night about Heisty's buddy Mike Messina. Yep. You yeah. Know, who at the end he offered him a good amount of money, but it it was too late. And so you know some of these things were, were probably mistakes. And so, uh, but listen, there were, there, there were other good things that happened too. Listen, the lar- the largest mistake he made in terms of dollars and cents has been the Chris Davis signing, and yet you you look at the genesis of the desire to have Chris Davis back for where he was with his age and his health and everything and his desire to get the Oriole fans a championship. He thought that that was the best method when he signed that contract with Chris three years ago that we couldn't afford to lose him, and it's cost him dearly. There's no question well, about it. Well, he might have been leading with his heart a little bit yes. and leading with his fan base because yeah. fans act like they didn't. They weren't saying this now. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not blanking, blanketing all fans with this, but I interact with fans as much as anybody, 
and they were screaming at the, his free agency yep, to me on the blog daily. Yep, yep. If the if the team is serious about winning, we're going to see it here. And that was that was the, how they threw the gauntlet down. A lot of fans. It wasn't it wasn't they need to resign him. It was going beyond that. If they're serious about winning, they'll keep this player. And so they did. And we know how it's worked out so far. To go to go back to where we were, what were you talking about at the very beginning about when a decision? Did you see Jerry Krasnick's tweet from yesterday? No, I didn't. Uh, just says the Orioles haven't talked to Dan or Buck about their futures and haven't made a decision on the status of either, sources say. And there's no indication precisely when the Angelos brothers plan to sit down with their GM and manager and make the call. Well, Right, right. He said no decisions have been made right. yet, con- con- you know, contradicting the other report, which, as some reporters have pointed out to me, the first one from Nightingale was the Orioles are expected to. It didn't say they will. Well, or right, they exactly. Right. You know, wasn't the expected is like what we're hearing. You know, this is what we're hearing kind of thing, more than a definitive someone told them this will happen Tuesday, um, which reporters, when they, you know, it's it, it just been kept kind of quiet. And, yep. you know, I do think some major change is coming. Now we're going to see what that means exactly. We're talking with Steve Molesky at Steve at Mass and Steve is the uh, Twitter handle. Steve Molesky. Steve, um, I'm asking not for a player-by-player analysis, but you'd know this minor league organization as well as anybody in town, including the, uh, you know, the farm director. And uh, on a, if you were judging, I know you don't know who Cleveland's got or – the Orioles, when they entered into making all these trades, I think they were 15th or 16th in the minor leagues. Do you think that they are now, uh, with with the knowledge that they're going to get the number one pick next year, are they in the top 10 now? I mean, do they have enough real talent coming through the pipeline that they could be a top 10 minor league system now? They're not there yet. Uh, they're probably still in that 15 to 20 range if, if and when people rank it. And so, but the good news is they potentially, if they can pull it off, well, you know, we know they'll get, have the number one draft pick. Right. And that'll happen in June. And they hope maybe they'll get the number one international prospect who's going to do his workout and showcase next Friday, Victor Victor Mesa. So, if where's, they it, where's, he, the, where's he doing that? In Florida? He's or? doing it in Florida, yes. Okay. If they could pull off that one-two acquisition there, boy, that would pump a lot of life into the farm. And yep. D.L. Hall, I can tell you this, he when, all, when the top 100s come out, uh, he's, he'll be there. He's good. He is, he is um, trending up fast. The scouts I talk to can't stop telling me how much they like him. And so he's going to merge as the best pitching prospect over the winter. He's, he's, you know, he's like a hit record. He's flying up the charts. So... There's four they're going to have in the top 100. They're going to have had Diaz, Hayes, Mountcastle, and Hall. And so I've got a couple others probably in that 150, top 150. So that'll help. And it's high-end prospects, which really bring that up. So if they can go from four to five or six, top 100, all of a sudden then you can be ranked 12, 14, 8, 10, 12, somewhere in there. Tell me about two. And, and you know, sometimes – uh, it's like the old B.B. King song. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That's why I'm uh, doing this show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the two guys we were most interested in seeing how their 2018 would evolve 
were Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey. Not one, but both of them had kind of substantive, lingering, long-term health issues this year. Hayes had never had them before. Hunter Harvey, for him, it's becoming a little chronic, although it's different each time. What do you think the offseason holds for both of them? Well, I think it's two very different situations because I think Austin Hayes' problem finally got fixed. Fixed, yeah. This surgical procedure. And I do think there was some – the ankle was uh, – I just don't know. They never could quite hone down exactly what it was. It was some – there was a, a cyst. And then they find, so finally they, they did a procedure. And so now it's a matter of just him recovering, which he should be fine for spring. Okay. And when healthy, we saw in 2017, he's a top prospect. He's got four or five tools, and he's, you know, the guy was uh, in, in the conversation. He was not, no, don't go crazy here, but this is from Baseball America, not Steve, that he was in the conversation for Player of the Year with Acuna. He was not mm-hmm. beating out Acuna last right. year, as we know. But when they picked the final five, he was there. It's so, a rare, ta- it's a rare talent that he's does still got what a rare he did. Talent. He can yeah. bring several tools, and yeah. and you know, John Manuel, when he was working for Baseball America, told me if not for Acuna, Steve Austin Hayes would be the Player of the Year. But Acuna is going to get it. This was end of 2017, so Hayes was well considered, and he still is. He just has to get healthy. Let me interrupt I, you for one second, ahead. just for your credibility's sakes. If you were rating Heist and how many tools <laughs> he's got, how many would you say he's got? Uh, now keep what's, in, on keep pl- in mind. what's on the plate? Well, I was going to say, really eating, eating heavily, tools. drinking heavily. Well, I was going to say, keep in mind, you've known me for about 25 years. <laughs> I know. I know some of his hidden talents, too. So let's just we <laughs> let's keep move it on about. to Hunter Harvey. All right, go ahead. But Hunter Harvey, um, that's, that's got more concern for me because each time he would get going this year, something would happen again. So now the latest news was he does not have structural damage. That's good. But my follow-up question is then why does he keep having to get shut down every week or two and every time he's throwing? So this kid has pitched so few innings, and it's so disappointing because I saw him at Delmarva when he was healthy before the Tommy John. And, I mean, it was a special mix. I, I told fans that I saw two pitchers who were pretty incredible on the farm, and Dylan Bundy is one and Hunter Harvey is the other. And I thought Hunter Harvey matched Dylan in talent. And, and very few pitchers had a year like Dylan had that year in 2012, was it, 11? I forget, the year after his draft. And so Hunter class, and he was ranked in 20, 30, 40 yep. in baseball by people like Keith Law. It's very high on Hunter Harvey. But now can he get healthy? And I And we have to be concerned that maybe he won't because it's been so long and things keep happening. Last thing, Steve, and that's uh, Chris Davis. Uh, obviously, doesn't look like he's going to be playing at all this weekend uh, and hasn't been for a few games now. Uh, was there any more insight into that and just, you know, they just decided that's it, shut it down? No insight, and that's kind of disappointing. That's a little bit more palace intrigue ever at uh, the Oral Clubhouse as to why Chris isn't playing. Now, fans don't want him to play. They're so down on him, so I don't think anybody's too upset. He's not in the lineup, but we never got a clear explanation. It obviously didn't have anything to do with his batting average because he's already qualified for the lowest average, and so you'd want to play to try to help your average. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's had anything to do with 200 strikeouts. I certainly hope not, Uh, but I do think Chris, 
this needs to be a winter where he needs to try new things. He, he clearly, his batting approach, as we've seen, did not look any different. Jim Palmer said as much when he called him out in May or June, whatever it was. He has to look different next year because what he's doing isn't working, and it hasn't worked for two years now. It's This is not a homestand or a slump or a 20 games. Right. So if he wants to get back into fans' good graces, the, the only way he can do it, the only way is to come back and have a monster year. And it doesn't have to be 53 homers, but it should probably be 33, and he needs to come back and be productive and not hit 180. And whatever he needs to do to do that, if he even is capable at this point, I think he needs to spend all winter doing it because what he's done hasn't worked, guys. And, and you come to the point where the, it could be this, which will be the most distressing of all. It could be that Chris is just no longer a very good baseball player and is a bad baseball player. And if that's the reality, then that's not great for the Orioles. I wrote a column for Press Box that came out September 15th, and I th- thought I put it in terms of what's realistic for Oriole fans to hope for because nobody should be hoping that, well, we'll just get through another couple of years of this misery. You know, uh, what, what you got to hope for is we can get 60% of what Chris was like offensively because defensively he's still a plus player. Uh, his effort is still plus running the bases. Uh, you, you know, you never hear that he didn't run a ground ball out. But we need 60% of those numbers that he was putting up in his prime, and that would still be 32 and 85. And I'll let the batting average be where it will, was, but I think, um, I think there is something to, to some of these left-handed players, and Chris is certainly one of them, left-handed sluggers, being swallowed up a little bit with, by the shift where suddenly they turn around and it's May 15th and their batting average is under 200. Uh, forget the power for a second, but I think they get their heads get really screwed up because they don't know how to work around the shift. Well, he is it's not going away. And yep. maybe Major League Baseball will legislate against it, which I think would be ridiculous. You yep. shouldn't be able to tell the defense where, where they play. can play in yep. any sport. But it, let's say that they don't. It's not going away. So he has to figure out a way to combat it. And I, would, I will contend that they were shifting him in 2013 often. Mm-hmm. And he had a monster year. If you remember, a lot of his home runs went to left center. And he can't keep telling us he's going to bunt and then not bunt. Which yep. this, has happened, this happens the second year in a row. And the other thing he failed in this year beyond his performance was to fall on the sword. Um, uh, a player like Trey Mancini... This kid cares so much, it just ate him up. It ate him up. He couldn't sleep, he told me yesterday, at points this season because of his slump. And Chris, um, and, I, and I'm sure it eats him up, too. He's telling Sports Illustrated he's been in tears this year. Right. But he doesn't, why, why does he tell them and not the local media? Well, yeah, exactly. And stand in front of us, the people who truly are there every day, who speak directly to his fans, and why doesn't he look into that camera and say, I killed the team this year? Because he did, and yeah. everybody knows it. And, and I've told young players who ask me about media, if you fall on the sword, the fans respect you, and it's over in two minutes. It doesn't mean anything. We all can see you stunk. So right. just say you stunk. Tomorrow's a new day. Yep. And Chris has, has never done that. He's, he's, he's referenced his poor year, but I just wish he – we're more um, owning of it, I guess, is the word. Yep. And um, that would have helped him, too. But 
He has chosen to not do that. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. I think he does care. Yeah, I do too. It's, but that, that's not why he's not letting the Baltimore fans see that. He's Steve Molesky, Mass and Steve on Twitter. Steve, many thanks. We'll grab you in a month or six weeks or so when we know some more of the details of the next parts of the rebuild. All right? All right, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. I'll see you at the park today.